Well, amen. God bless you. Appreciate you being here tonight. You have your Bibles, Acts chapter uh, number 21, Acts 21. Now, we, um, we got quite a ways last week in Acts 21, an interesting uh, chapter uh, here in, in the Word of God. You find uh, several things where the uh, Apostle Paul is bound to determine uh, to go to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to recap just a little bit, and we got down to... Uh, verse uh, number 20 last week. But let me, let, let, let me hit just a couple of things. Actually, I want to uh, start back uh, just a, 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 a little bit uh, in verse 14. And I want you to see something. And before we start reading in verse 14, we're just going to read down to verse 20 and we'll pick up there. Um, I want you to bear in mind that the Apostle Paul has been very much uh, set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's actually trying to get there by Pentecost, if you remember. And he's on his way there. Uh, he has had numerous folks at this point that we've already seen that have warned him that if he goes to Jerusalem, that there's bonds and imprisonment waiting him there. He's going to be arrested, turned over to the Gentiles. We, we've seen all of that. And uh, above this, uh, there's a prophet by the name of Agabus that has come and has testified that, uh, that he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. And then everyone there tries to uh, convince him not to go, and uh, not to go to Jerusalem. And eventually, uh, you remember last week, Paul decides he's going. Now, um, I, I want to reiterate something at this point that try to make some sense out of what I'm going to say here in a minute. And uh, y'all pray for me that I can get this spit out right in a few minutes. But the truth is, as I study this, I think Paul settled in his heart when he took, went by foot from Troas to Azos. And he went by foot, and he spent a couple of days as a 31-mile journey, and he had it settled in his heart that this is what God wanted him to do. And so even though there are folks that are trying to convince him not to, even ones that the Holy Spirit is guiding them and saying, maybe... Not, not to go, but this is what's going to happen to you. And so in verse number 14, I want you to see the resignation again of Luke and, and uh, uh, those folks that were with him. And it says, And when he would not be persuaded, he ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. Now that little phrase in the end of that verse, The will of the Lord be done is an interesting thing to me, to the rest of this. Uh, that's above it and below it. As Paul is, uh, he is trying to do what he feels in his uh, heart, what God wants him to do. Now he's headed to Jerusalem. His whole purpose there is to try to win the Jews. Uh, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, but he had a heart for his people. You find that in, all, in, in the Pauline epistles, you find that he always had a heart for his people, wanting to, uh, to, to win them. Matter of fact, in Romans he says that he wished himself accursed for his kinsmen after the flesh. So he's got a desire to, to win these folk, and so he's headed that way. And so I'm just going to read down to verse 20, and then I want to show you something in verse 20 where I believe he gets to Jerusalem, you see what happens there, and there's some bad advice that's given. And I'm going to talk about that advice tonight, and I may not get out of a couple of verses because we're going, to, we're going to backtrack in several other passages and show you what, what I mean by that. Verse number 15. And after those days we took up our carriages and went 
up to Jerusalem. And by the way, those carriages were just meant their belongings, what they were carrying stuff in. Uh, there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Manasian of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went uh, in with us unto James, and all the elders uh, were present. And when, we, and when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Now I want to stop just a minute. To this point, he's at Jerusalem. He has went in with the elders now. And, and he has given them uh, uh, testimony of everything that God has done with him. And the churches they've seen planted and what God has used him for and doing what he's done with the Gentiles. And, and, and they glorified God in that. They were grateful for everything that the Lord had done using Paul. But we're about to change gears in this verse. In the middle of this verse, next what we're about to read, you're about to change gears. They're glad of what God has done with him. They glorified God for everything that has taken place. But now pay attention. We'll go back and start at the top of the verse and read through it. And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews uh, there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. Now here is a contradiction. James is about to give him some advice, and I've thought about this. Sometimes I'm real, real um, hesitant to say these kind of things, but I still think it's some bad advice. Uh, my goodness, I couldn't carry his shoes, couldn't unloose his shoes. There's no doubt about that. But he's about to give him some bad advice. Now, it's based on trying to appease someone. Uh, he says, now, well, we're, we're, we're excited about what God has done with you and the Gentiles. But you need to understand, there are thousands of Jews that believe, and they are very zealous of the law. So here they are in Jerusalem, which is, you know, they, they still had the temple at that time. They're there. There's all of the uh, Old Testament stuff being done with the temple, and the Jews are very zealous about the temple, about the uh, sacrifices, and about all of the things that went on with the temple. They're very zealous of it. And so he says to him, they're very zealous about that. Of course they're very zealous about that. They, they believe that. They're very zealous about it. Those Orthodox Jews are very zealous about that tonight. Uh, they're very zealous about that. Nothing's changed with that. But watch the advice, and then I'm going to come back and deal with what happens when you try to appease something. And I, and, and I think Paul has a reason for that, and I'll deal with that in a minute also. Verse 21. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. He says, now all these Jews have been informed, they've heard that you're teaching that we don't have to follow Moses and, and the circumcision. So they said, now we've heard some things, and it's been informed that this is what you're doing. 
And we're going we're gonna to look at some scriptures in a few minutes and you'll understand why they think that and really what was actually being said. Verse 22. What is it therefore? So there's a question. He says, is that what you're... Are you teaching that? Is that where you're at? And then here's the advice. What is it therefore? Uh... The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear their come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and, and all may know that these, those things, whereof they were informed concerning thee, are nothing, but thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Now, by the way, there's a problem with that. Uh, there's a problem in the Pauline teachings with that. Uh, there's no more sacrifices. Christ was the final sacrifice. The veil of the temple is rent in twain from top to bottom when Christ died on the cross. There's no more of that. But they're saying we, we want to appease them. We, we, we want to show them that you're, you're, you're walking orderly after law. Well, he's not walking orderly after law. Now, they try to make a distinction, and I want you to notice the next distinction, verse 26, or 25, excuse me. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such things, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled and from fornication. Now, notice that they've tried to make a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And by the way, if you remember, Paul went up to Jerusalem earlier and, and that was the advice that they gave them. This is what you go back and you go back to Antioch and here's what you tell them and, and, and that's what they've been preaching. And, and so he's been preaching, no, we, we, we're... We're not destroying the law. The law has been fulfilled. We're, we're not destroying the sacrifices. Christ was the last sacrifice. We're, he has fulfilled that. This is what you do. So now they're trying to separate a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, still wanting the Jews to say, yes, we believe in Jesus, but at the same time keep the law. Now they're trying to appease some people and trying to keep them getting mad. By the way, it didn't work. And we we'll, may or may not get into that part of it tonight. It didn't work. And let me say this. Anytime you're trying to appease somebody, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Anytime you're trying to appease somebody that's uh, especially with the truth and you try to uh, somehow or another uh, appease them and make some sort of concession and essentially that's what Paul's doing here. That's the advice that was given him to do. Uh, you're going to find that it creates problems and it created him some problems. And it created them some problems. But what was the truth of these things? I think that's an important thing for you and I to see, and uh, we, we need to go back and, and, and look at some things. So the first passage I want you to go to, I want you to open your Bibles. I'll hold something here, we'll come back. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3, and in Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. Now, the question remains or is, is there a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles? That's the question. It's been several years that we, we've come 
by the time we get to Acts 21, since the crucifixion and the ascension and, and all that's going on. It's been a lot of years. We've come to this point, and, and, and so now is there a difference in, in the way that God expects the Jews to worship and the way that God expects the Gentiles to worship? Because that's what they're saying. They're essentially saying, well, you know, here, here we are, and, and, and we're Jews, and they're not. And uh, they, they don't need to observe any of that, but we observe those things. All right, so in Galatians chapter 3, Paul's going to actually answer that. And it's, it's part of what he's uh, been uh, teaching all this time. This is what they've been informed. And uh, I guess they've been informed because he wrote it already. And so uh, I, I want you to notice, we're starting in verse number 21 of Galatians chapter 3. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For there had been a law given which could have given life. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. So now he makes this great statement. He said, there is no law that can make a person righteous in the sight of God. And the law couldn't do that. If someone could have been saved and could have been righteous and have righteousness to enter into heaven, Jesus would not have had it down on the cross. And, and so there's no law that could do that. So that verse just makes that statement. He's, he's making it clear because they were trying to mix, by the way, uh, here in uh, the book of Galatians. They had another gospel. They were trying to come to the weak and beggarly elements of keeping the law and, and following things. So he's dealing with it very clearly by inspiration here. There's no law that can make you and I righteous. We'll never be able to be righteous through our own works in the eyes of God. Next verse, verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. All right, so the Scripture's concluded, no matter who we are, that we're sinners. Now we know that. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're, we're, we're sinners. The Scripture concluded that. Now what, what was, what's taking place then? Verse 23. But before faith came... We were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. And he said, now salvation by faith didn't come by the law. The law shuts you out of that. If, if, you, if you were trying to keep the law, you were just trying to earn your salvation. And you're trying to be perfect, and you're trying to be righteous in your own eyes and the eyes of others. And you're, you're, you're keeping the law, and that separates you, that shuts you up unto faith. Now keep reading. You're going to see something about the law. Next verse. Wherefore the law was our... Verse 24 is one of these verses you ought to at least know it's in your Bible if you don't memorize it. It's a great truth. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. He said, you know what the law was? It is a schoolmaster. It is a teacher that's teaching you you need something else. The law teaches you you can't live it. The law teaches you you're a sinner. The law teaches you you'll never earn it. It is a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. I keep reading. He's not only finished with this, verse 25. But after that faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. He said, all right. 
And there comes a point that you realize, I can't save myself, uh, I, so I'm going to have faith in Jesus, in the Messiah. Now, we're not trying to earn our salvation. We've learned the lesson. We've been taught we need faith. We've been taught that it's faith in Christ and Christ alone, and it's served its purpose. It's great truth. That's what Jesus said, by the way, in Matthew chapter 5, when he talked about, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. That's the Old Testament. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Chapter 5, verse, uh, starting in verse 19 there, great truth. All right, now keep reading. Verse 26. For you all are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So everyone that is a child of God is a child of God by faith in Christ. Not faith in the law, not by keeping something, but if we are His children, we are children by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Verse 27. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And by the way, I think that's making reference to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where the Spirit places us into the body of Christ. And He says, so here you are. We are put into Christ and by faith. Verse 28. Now, verse 28 is a key verse. Now, I want you to notice it. I really read most of this to get to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Great truth. And then he concludes it, and if you be Christ, then you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So then he bundles it all together and he says, you know what? There's not going to be Jews and Gentiles in this. We're all one body. Now, God had given that to Paul. Paul's been teaching that. And when they're over saying, we've been informed, you've been informed rightly, because that's what he's been teaching. As a matter of fact, that's what God gave him by inspiration. And so here he is teaching this great principle that you and I would understand. No one ever did, no one ever will get to heaven outside of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints were looking forward to the coming Messiah. We're looking back on the coming Messiah. The, school, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. By the way, it still does it in our own lives today. Uh, I mean, before you anyone can get saved, they must understand they're a sinner on their way to hell. And to see that you're a sinner, you, you must see. I have broken God's law. I am not perfect. It, it, the law teaches us we need Christ. And Christ fulfilled the law. But in Christ, we're all one body. There's a great truth in that. So Paul had and was teaching that. But in our text, in, in the book of Acts, they were trying to differentiate between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that is not what God wanted done. All right, now let's get, let's get a couple of the passages, a couple of things I want to look at. Uh, once you, uh, you're in Galatians, go to Colossians with me just a little bit. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read uh, another passage of Scripture. And, and we're going to read something about what happened at the cross and what happened to the law and what happened to those ordinances and those things that were given with the law. And so we're going to begin reading in verse number 8 of Colossians chapter 2. And we'll read actually quite a few verses. And I want you to see what it says. Colossians chapter 2, begin reading in verse 8. Beware, 
lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now there's a warning. He says, I want you to beware that you're not spoiled. It's an interesting phrase that God uses there. Uh, you, you know, when something's spoiled, it's ruined, it's rotten, it's no good. And he says, Be, beware that you're not spoiled. And he lists several things. And, and once you notice what he says, and he says, first of all, through philosophy. It is an interesting thing to me how that we've got so many folks, even in Christianity, that talk about philosophy every once in a while. Be careful of philosophy. Uh, you, you just need to get your nose in the Word of God and find out what the Bible says. It's a lot better than philosophy, I guarantee you that. Beware, uh, lest you're spoiled through philosophy. And then it mentions some other things. Vain deceit. Tradition of men. Boy, that law had a lot of tradition behind it. And rudiments of the world. In other words, fleshly things. And, and it says, not after Christ. And, and, and so none of those things are compatible with faith in Christ. If I have faith that Jesus is God in the flesh, and He came and lived and died, and was buried and rose again, and ascended back to heaven, has come again, He's God Almighty, then that takes precedence over all this other. He ought to have the preeminence in everything. And so here we, we find in this text, He says, be careful, beware. I'm giving you a warning. Don't you be spoiled through these things. Keep reading. Verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When you see Christ physically, you see God in all the fullness. Everything, and it uses the word Godhead. That word Godhead is only found three times in our Bible, and here's one of them. Uh, you find that it and in yet dwells all the fullness in Christ. Verse 10. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So whenever someone trusts Christ and we're in the body of Christ, we are complete in Him. That is a great, great truth. And He is the head of all principality and all power. That verse is almost like a sister verse to uh, Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given me in heaven and earth. Great truth there. Next verse, verse 11. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and the putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There it is again. Uh, there's something without hands. And he uses the word circumcision. And it's not fleshly, it's spiritual. Circumcision of the heart. It's made without hands. It's not something you do physically. And again, here we are again, verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism, when also you are risen with Him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and, and he, he says, now we're, we're trusting Jesus and we're, we're following Him. Next verse. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now we were dead in our sins. And that word quickened means to be made alive. 
And by faith in Christ, at the very moment of salvation, we were quickened in Christ. Not of works, not of religious rituals, not by keeping the law, but by faith in Christ. Now watch what Jesus did on the cross in the next verse. It's one of these verses that, uh, these next few verses that I think is important that we understand what happened, the completion of the law that happened at Calvary. And the next verse says, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He died for all of our sins. I mean, at noon, whenever He said, I thirst, that middle saying of the seven of the cross, and God the Father placed on God the Son all the sin of all mankind, he, he, he died for our sins, but He did something else here, according to this passage. He took something else and nailed it to the cross. And, and He nailed it there and took it out of the way, the handwriting of ordinances, the law. He fulfilled the law on Calvary is that He was that sacrifice all the way from Genesis 3.15, the first messianic prophecy. He fulfilled that. It was nailed to the cross. All that was settled on the cross. Next couple of verses, watch what it says. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show over them openly, triumphing over them in it. Talking about He, he, he won the victory. Uh, he openly won the victory on the cross, and He made a show of it. He is and was God in the flesh. When He resurrected from the dead, He proved He was God, and they have no power against that. Now watch what the next verse says. Verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or the Sabbath days. And by the way, there are some things the law takes pretty serious. All of those things were those, uh, those, those meat offerings and those drink offerings and those holy days. They had those three weeks plus the other days. They had their new moons, the feast, and the Sabbath days. So he rolls all that in and says, don't let anybody judge you in that. Don't let anybody judge you in that. And why is that? Why... Well, what happened to all of those things? All of those things that are mentioned right there in, in, in verse 16. Why, why does he say that? Well, look in verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. All of those Old Testament ordinances and that law, that ceremonial law, all of that pointed toward Christ, toward the Messiah. And Christ fulfilled all of that on the cross. It's over. It's finished. It's done. And, and Paul says, you know what? You don't let anybody judge you. Obey. Don't let them worry about it. Uh, you, you're following Christ. He, he made a show of all that. And, and, and it's, it's finished in verse 18. And I'll be done with this passage. And then we'll go to another passage. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and truth of those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He says, now you be careful. 
Don't let anybody get you to where that you're... We started in verse 8, where he gave the warning not to be spoiled. So he's given it... We've seen now in Galatians, and we've seen in Colossians, that very clearly the Holy Ghost has given Paul inspiration. The law is fulfilled. He's not following the law. He's not encouraging him to follow it. He's encouraging him to follow Christ and have faith in Jesus and, and, and being the Messiah and fulfilling all the law and nailing it to the cross and finishing what need be said. He finished it. So now we have a little bit of a paradox. What's going on in Acts 22, 21? What's going on there? Paul's bound and determined to go to Jerusalem. What's he doing there? When he gets there, they rejoice in how God's used him for the Gentiles. They rejoice in that. But then on the heels of that, they say, well, we got a problem. You have created uh, an uproar among the Jews. No kidding. <laughs> That's an understatement. I mean, if you've been paying attention, as we've been going through the book of Acts, every city where he went into, the first thing he did is went into their synagogue there, uh, and he would meet with them for a while, and he would expound the Scripture to them. There's always some that believed, and there was always a multitude that got angry, and, and there would be a, something go on. It'd always be trouble. I mean, he, they, they've been shook up the whole... Uh, and, and Not just the last missionary journey, the first, the second, and even the third. They've been shook up all along. They're upset about this thing. So what is he doing when he's going to Jerusalem? He's, what is he trying to do there? He's trying to win his kinfolk. What is he doing with this advice that was given that we've done read about there? Where, where they say, listen, we don't want them to be angry. They're going to do something pretty violent. They do do something pretty violent. Even though he tried to appease them, they did something pretty violent. But he's like, what's he trying to do? And it was trying to settle that in my heart. Why is Paul doing that? Why did he take the advice? He did take the advice, by the way. Why did he take the advice? Why, why did he act as if he had a vow and goes into the temple? And by the way, I'll go back to that in the next few minutes. I think those four men had a vow of a Nazarite on them and, and, and because they were going to shave their heads, some things they were going to do, Old Testament law stuff. And, uh, but why did he do that? Well, you have your Bibles. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives us something of his heart. And, and it's, it's not just his heart. He's, in, I think, encouraging us the kind of heart we ought to have for people. But I believe we have an answer a little bit as to what Paul was trying to do, and it did not work. And uh, we'll go back to that then, and, and, and I'll try to make some sense out of all this together. I hope I will at least, at least, anyhow. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Now, verse 19 is an interesting verse. Paul says, I'm free from all men. I'm not serving men. I'm serving Christ. Uh, I, I know who Jesus is. He is a converted Pharisee. 
uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees is what he called himself later on in his testimony. Uh, he said, I'm free from all men. I've trusted Christ. But I have made myself a servant to all that I might gain more. Now when he says gain more, he's not talking about popularity. He's not talking about something of that nature. He's talking about their souls. He's trying to keep people out of hell. He wants people to be saved. He wants to be able to identify with them. He wants to be able to witness to them and talk to them. By the way, I found that to be true. I, I, I mean, if you're going to win somebody to Christ, oftentimes, whether you like it or not, you've got to win them to yourself first. I mean, I like that. I, I don't want people looking at me. I want people looking at Jesus. Uh, but before they're going to listen to you, they've got to trust you. They've got to like you, for the most part. And uh, I found that to be true. And, and that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm free from all men. But I'll tell you what I've done. I've made myself a servant that I might gain the more. Now watch closely what he says in these next few verses. Verse number 20. Under the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. Interesting statement. He says, you know, I... By the way, if anybody knew what the Jewish religion was, Paul did. And he says, Under the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. Keep reading. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. He said, I, I, I did what I could to gain these people that are Jews and those that are under the law. Next verse. Verse 21, to them that are outlaw as without law, being not without law to God, but being under the law of Christ, that I might gain them throughout the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You see, his, his whole purpose was just asking God for wisdom to be able to win people who they are and where they're at. There's great truth in that. Uh, one of my preacher brethren, uh, he and I were talking about this several, matter of fact, a couple, three years ago, and I told him, I said, Brother Brian, you're going to have to learn something. You're going to have to learn to meet people where they are, not where you want them. Where you want them is probably a long ways uh, different from where they actually are. I mean, where I was when Charlie Shaver led me to Christ is a long ways from where I'm at tonight. I can assure you of that. And, and he says, you know what I did? I, I, I made myself all things to all men that might by all means win some. Now keep reading. Verse 23, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker with you, thereof with you. He says, now I did this for the gospel's sake. I just want to win some people to Christ. I want to try to identify with them. I want to try to win them to Christ. That's what I want to do. Uh, I'm trying to do this. Next verse. Know you not that they which run in the race run all, but one receive the price? So run that you may obtain. And everyone that striveth for mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to attain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, and not as one it be there, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest any being, by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. What a great passage of Scripture. 
Paul says, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to bring my body down that I'm all things to all men. Now, I've used these three passages tonight. Go back to our text next. Whenever Paul gets to Jerusalem there in verse number 20, and he meets with James and the elders, and he gives testimony of what God's done with him, they're, they glorify God in that, but they're nervous. They're nervous of his reputation because they, they say, you know what we've heard? We've heard that you preach against circumcision and we heard you preach against following the law and that's partly right. We just read that in Galatians and Colossians. It's partly right. He doesn't preach throwing it away. He's just preaching that Christ fulfilled it. It's not exactly right. And they say, here's what we'd like for you to do. We'd like for you to appease these people and show them that you are orderly, that you do keep the law. Now, there's a problem with that. I think in, in Paul's mind, and if I can say defense tonight, he's trying to be all things to all men, that he about by all means win some. But you'll never appease something by doing something that's not exactly right. You see, what those elders at Jerusalem needed is they needed to know you'll never appease them because it's wrong. You need to hear the truth. You needed to go back to Galatians and Colossians and say, hey, it's over. It's over. So Paul tried to do that. And we quit reading when we were there in verse uh, 25. So go back to verse 26. Their advice is we want you to appease them. So they tried that. Paul's trying to be all things to all men. Under the Jews, he's trying to be a Jew. Under their law, is under the law. And so he takes these four men that are under a vow, and they're going to shave their head. By the way, that was the vow of a Nazarite. And when the vow was completed, they had to come to the priest. Uh, they had to make some offerings, they had to shave their hair, part of it they had to burn, is the vow of a Nazarite was over. This is really probably symbolic of that, so at least that's what I think they were doing. And so you find here that they're doing this vow of a Nazarite. So he takes them, verse 26. Then Paul took them in, and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Now he's not offered any offerings yet, uh, don't know what was going to happen here, but the, there's no sense for the offering. Paul knows that. Christ was the offering. So they're in the temple. There's got to be a seven-day purification thing. They're there. They're waiting for this. And something happens. Verse 27, And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw Him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on Him. By the way, those folks in Asia have been after Him for a long time. Some of them have come to Jerusalem and they see Him in the temple and now they steer the people up and they lay hands on Him. So He never did do that. This did not work. It, now it steers them up. Verse 28, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city of Tromiphus uh, 
an Ephesian whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved and people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. Now, there's a lesson here. There's a great lesson. This didn't work. There's going to be some things in, in life that you and I are going to have to stand on the Word of God. True, I need to try to be all things to all men so that I by all means might win some. But I've got to stand fundamentally on what's right no matter, no matter what happens. And when you're trying to appease somebody, it never works. It didn't work for Paul here and it won't work for you and I. They were trying to do that. It did not work. It's not going to work. And so now they've, they, these same Jews have been steering up everything in Asia. They've steered it up in Jerusalem. And they've drew him out of the temple and they've shut the doors and they've got him in the street. Now what are they doing with him? Next verse. 31. And as they went about to kill him, uh, this appeasement didn't work too good. Uh, they're, they're just trying to kill him. The advice that was given was bad advice. It was bad scriptural advice. It was just bad advice all the way around. And when you try to appease somebody, you're going to find this is what happens to you. So they're going about to try to kill him, verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all the, the Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took shoulders and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. So they're trying to kill him. They're beating him in the middle of the street. And here comes uh, the, the soldiers, and well, he gets, they quit beating him. Verse 33. Then a chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came up among the stairs, so it was that he was born of his soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude, the people followed after, crying away with him. I want you to notice now, they're still following him. They, they, they're not happy. I mean, he's, he's bound, he's in chains. The captain of the garden is taking him up. He got him in custody. And, well, they're still after him. They want him to be killed. By the way, just throwing something out here. When you're trying to appease people, you'll never win. No matter what happens, they're always going to want you dead. And that's what's happening. And they're after him. We're about done. I'm going to read the rest of this and I'll be done for now. We'll pick up chapter 22 next week. But I want you to notice what it says. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Yeah, he can speak quite a few other languages also. Uh, so he speaks to him in Greek. And he says, Can I say something to you? So, verse 38, Are thou not that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar, and led us out into the wilderness. 4,000 men that were murderers. Chief Captain thought he was some Egyptian that was leading murderers out. And so Paul answers, verse 39, Paul said, I am a man, which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of Omean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So now he's asked for permission to speak to the people. And what's he trying to do? Back to his heart. He's going to try to win them. It's all he's after. It's all he's ever been after. Is to win people to Christ. 
didn't work. This appeasement philosophy did not work. He's about to preach to him. Verse 40. And when he given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with a hand unto the people. And there was made a great silence. He spoke unto them in a Hebrew tongue, saying, and we'll pick that up next week. I want you to notice now, he's back at Jerusalem. I believe he followed some bad advice and it had not a good end. We see the truth that there's only one in Christ. Salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. And we as God's people ought to know that. And we ought to teach and preach that without fear, without <laughs> wavering. And we ought to love people. Do all we can to win anybody to Christ, but stand solidly on the Word of God and on truth without compromise. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight.